Hey, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 22. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. And those that, all you ladies really that uh, make this world and make this church go around, uh, where would we be without you? Um, <clears throat> my, uh, my dad uh, kept repeating to me, this is what you need to say is, yes, dear, whatever you say, dear. So he was teaching me when I was with him this last week, many good things. Some review about what we saw back in the, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew before, uh, in chapter 22, the question we answered is, is this all there is? And we talked about life after death, that God promises a hope and a future to those who trust him, not to anybody and everybody, though he, would, he offers it to all but only to those who receive and believe does he give the right or the power to become children of God. We know, though, in our hearts, we know that there's something more, and Solomon said that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We saw the Sadducees, though, they didn't believe in resurrection, they didn't believe in eternity, they didn't believe in anything beyond this life. You know, they were very liberal in their interpretation of Scripture, and they came and tried to tried to trip up Jesus with a riddle, and um, he told them flat out, he said, you are in error, you're wrong, you're messed up. Why? He didn't use those words, I did. He says, because you do not know the scriptures, number one, and you do not know the power of God. And so the, the exhortation to you and I is, if we want to stay out of error, we need to know what God's word says. But we also need to know God's power and the God of power. It's not just a book that we read and we study and it's all up here. But there's something, you know, about the power of God working in our lives as we trust Him, as we walk with Him, as we get to know Him. For those who believe, our citizenship is in heaven, it says in Philippians. So there's hope and there's a future for those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ. There's eternal life, but those who reject Him, apart from Him, there's eternity, yes, but it's a Eternal separation, to be apart from Him forever and ever. This is what the Bible calls hell. I want to say to you this morning, I, I got some different things on my heart after this week, and, and many of you know I lost a brother last week, and I went to California. My wife and I went and, and uh, you know, spent time with the family, and, and, and Barbara's talking about praying for family. And family, you know, family is, is really good, but it's also can be really, well, you know, it's difficult, right, sometimes family. And, and you know, I, I'm so happy to be here today. I can just talk about Jesus whenever I want to, and we can pray, and we can, we can sing, and all this stuff. And, but when you're with them, you're going like, how am I going to bring up Jesus into this situation? And, and uh, you know, you hear God's name, but it's mostly used in vain. And, and you know, so... Many of you have families like that, and, and um, you know, I, I have to remind myself continually about what God's done in my life, because when I, when I go and get back involved and, and see and, and be a part of it, I go like, wow, what, this is different, and, and, and know that God has done a work in my life. God has changed me. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, but you, you, were, you were like all that stuff, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, and, and Jesus has done a work in your life, and, and so I have to remind myself of that sometimes, you know, 
that, that uh, God has done something, but to be part of the family and, and, and to, to just be a light and to witness when you can and, and, and looking and praying for opportunities. And, and uh, it's not always easy. Believe me, I know. And, and someday I will uh, tell you more about the rest of my family. But I, I want to say these words before we start the new section here today is that uh, for you that are believers, I, I, I think... Number one, you need to be certain that you are born again, that your life is inhabited and filled with the Spirit of God, that you do believe and trust in Him, as we're going to see with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you know that. You're certain about that. You have that assurance of salvation, that you know that, that you're a child of God, not just you think about it sometimes. So that's very important. But the other thing, too, is that, is that you let someone else know about it. You don't want to have the situation occur when you die and people say, well, I don't know if they were a believer or not. I don't know if they were, they were born again. I don't know if they will be in heaven or not. You don't want that to happen to you. Believe me. Trust me. You know, because that's what happens. And, and so many times I've been in situations like that, and, and it's the same with, with this brother that passed away. I do not know. I do not know where he will be. I hope that he will be in heaven. I hope that. I spent many times with him, and, 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 you, and some family members, you can do this, you can get away with this, you can just say, man, I said, you need Jesus, like right in his face, you need Jesus, you know, like that. You can't do that to every one of your family members. Some you can, though, right? And you kind of know which ones you can when they're going on and on about something stupid, and then you can say, listen, man, you need Jesus in your life. And I said that to him many times, but, but, but I wasn't there when he, when he died, and I don't know. I don't know, you know, we don't know. At the last moments of his life, he could have made a, a cry and, and called out to Jesus Christ. So we cannot say for certain one way or the other about anybody who dies. We hope, and, and many, many, uh, we can be more certain and say, listen, that person is, is with the Lord right now. I know it. I, I saw it. I saw it. When Bill Kinneman passed away, I saw in his face. The night before he died, he was pointing up. And he says, To live is Christ, to die is gain. I, that man knew where he was going to head. He knew what his eternity would be like. Don't let others wonder and worry about you. Maybe you're a believer, but you haven't even told anybody. You haven't written anything down. You haven't told your family members. They don't know. You're not, you're not close enough to anybody where they would know what your life and your heart is like. Please don't let that happen to you. Do not let that happen to you. Today, there's more questions for Jesus, and we're going to see that he gets to the very heart of the matter. He gets to the heart of the matter. And, and uh, you know, you can talk to people sometimes, and, and, and they kind of ramble on and on and on and on. But you just want them to get to the point, Right? You know people like that? We sat with one of Paula's sisters, and, and we were there for like three and a half hours, and, and going, <laughs> you know, this girl knows how to talk. But, you know, can you give us the Cliff's Notes version of the story? Can, that's, for those of you that don't know, that's like a book that will uh, save you having to read a big textbook, and you read like, you know, five pages, and it tells you everything about the book. I remember years and years ago we had a, 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 a 
couples banquet, and we had a guy named Dave Therian, who many of you hear on the radio, and he came and he was our guest speaker, and he, he gave this story about, about, you know, communication between couples, and, and he talked about, you know, one that was just talking and talking, and finally the, the one is saying, you know, to the other, will you just land the plane? The plane is just going around and around and around. Will you just please land the plane? Well, that's what kind of what Jesus does here today. He gets right to the point, right to the heart of the matter. He lands the plane. He sums it all up. And, and the, the word the, the, that, he, that he uses is love. That's the point. That's the heart. You know the picture of the heart symbol, right? You know? What does it stand for? Love, right. We flew on Southwest Airlines. They have the big heart symbol in their, the love airline. But they don't give any food, so I don't know what... <laughs> what love there is in that, but they bring peanuts and pretzels or something. But <clears throat> Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. love. So let's go ahead and get started here. Verse uh, 34, hearing that Jesus, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So he silenced the liberals, and now the Legalists come and try. The Pharisees come and try. And, and for them, it was really all about law. It was all about obligation. It was all about that you had to, to do this, 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 and this to make it, to be right. Legalism is following a set of rules and regulations, and that's how you're going to get to heaven. Well, let me tell you, first of all, that legalism is not going to get anybody to heaven because we can't follow all the rules. We're not perfect. We're not going to make it. We can't follow all them in perfect succession, perfect execution. It's just not going to happen. Verse 35, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you see here it says that he was testing Jesus, and, and I always thought that the teacher would test the students. Usually, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? But here, the, he calls him teacher, but he comes and says, I'm going to, you know, I've got this question for you. About the only thing that we test with Jesus is what? His patience. Exactly. Now, so these Pharisees, they were, they were all about the law, you know, the, the commandments, the rules. And, and really, they had come up with like 613 commands, 248 of them positive, 365 of them negative. And, and they had these kinds of debates on a regular basis, like which was, you know, which one was the, the, the most important, the most crucial. And they would fight about this, and they categorized, you know, the, the heavy commandments and the light commandments. You could kind of get away with not doing the light commandments if you made sure you did the heavy commandments. But Jesus said, if you fail in any of those commandments, the, the Word of God tells us that we're not going to make it. The law has a purpose, right? The, these, these commandments that we see here in the first five books of of the Old Testament. They have a purpose, but the law is a, is a schoolmaster, Paul said in Romans, to bring us to Christ because it tells us that we can't make it that way, right? So 
they thought this was a really hard question and maybe Jesus would get mixed up and, you know, he would say something really silly or, or whatever. And, but interesting to note, too, is that Mark's account of this occasion, he gives actually a more favorable impression of this man that he asked the question like he really wanted to know. He was testing him, and, he, and maybe he was pushed on by the rest of the Pharisees, but it, he, it makes it seem more like he really wanted to know the answer to the question. And that's kind of an attitude issue, isn't it? Do we, we ask questions, but do we really want to know the answers? And we're going to see his, what happens to him at the very end here. Um, there's also a very similar uh, passage in Luke. It's not, uh, many think it's not the exa- exact same. It, the answer is very much the same, but uh, it says in Luke 10, he says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said these words, teacher, he, he asked, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, and how do you read it? So, so in his case, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How am I going to get there? And it's kind of very similar. It could have been the same occurrence because it really means the same thing. He's saying, you know, what's the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment? What do I need to make sure that I do? Out of all the other commandments, 613, what do I got to make sure that I do? What's the most important thing in all the law? What's the most important thing? What's at the very heart of it? What's at the very center of it? And Jesus' answer is not law, but his answer is love. His answer is love. Look at verse 37. He said, Jesus replied... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. This is the first and the greatest. This is the most important thing. It's not about make sure that you give your tithe perfectly. It's not make sure that you show up at church every single Sunday or you're in danger. He says make sure that you have a love relationship with God Almighty. Amen. Make sure it's, it's a love relationship. And, and in Mark, again, uh, the man acknowledges to Jesus that love is more important than all the burnt offerings, than all the sacrifices, all those other things we find in the law. He said, yes, you're right. He, you know, he's telling Jesus, you're right. Yeah, love is more important than, those, than all those things that we can do. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said. Burnt offerings and sacrifices won't do it. It's about love. It's about about having a love relationship with God Almighty. That's what it's all about. Do you have a love relationship with God Almighty? That's the question that Jesus is, you know, uh, saying to us through this passage. Do you really have a love relationship with Him? Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, Jesus is quoting these verses from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, and he's quoting from what's known as the Shema. And, and this Shema is, is the central prayer in the Jewish prayer book, and it is even to today. And, it, and it's often that the first part of Scripture that uh, Jewish children learn. And there's three sections of it, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11 and Numbers chapter 15. And also, 
they take these first two parts, and, and if you've ever been to a Jewish home or you've been to Israel, you know on the doorpost of, of every house you go into, you find a little, um, they call it mezuzah, right? And, there, and inside of that, there is a, a very small piece of paper that's rolled up that these first two parts of the Shema are written on and then put inside there, you see. And many times if you watch when a, a, a Jewish person will come in, they'll, they'll you know, put their hand on their lip and then they'll touch the mezuzah as they go into the door. Very interesting. Now, it, it's not so much that you have that on your door. It's not so much that you touch it and kiss it. It's not so much that you learn these verses, but what matters is the reality in the heart, that there is something there. But again, every time they walk through a door, they should be reminded that, that, that the Lord our God is one. We're going to read it in a second, that to love Him is the most important thing. It's, you know, they kind of get it, but they don't get it, right? They get it because they repeat it over and over and over again, and they realize it's so very, very important. They also, in, in, uh, in those, uh, uh, the Bible, some translations use the word uh, phylacteries, right? Where they take a little kind of a leather box and then strings around it and, and uh, you know, they'll, they'll either tie it around their uh, forehead or, or around their arms. Any of you ever seen them do that? Sometimes if you're on a plane to Israel in the middle at certain times, uh, they will do that because that's their certain thing. But, but that is also a, another place where those two sections of the Scripture are found in there. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, because I want you to see this and some of the things that it says there along with that. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and following. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of Moses or the five books of the law. But even in the middle of all these commandments, all these laws, we see that at the very heart of the matter is love. Chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And on your gates. That's where they get this idea to put them in those places that I just mentioned. But you see at the very middle of it, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The question for us, again, is, is he, first of all, the Lord our God? Is he our God? And, and, and then these verses, let's turn back to Matthew, these verses tell us, what kind of relationship he wants to have with us. Love the Lord your God. Love him. Love him, he says. And some of you guys are thinking, well, you know, that's good for women and girls, but, you know, for me, you know, I'm a man. No. God says, love him. Jesus says, and he was the, the greatest man that ever lived. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How much should we love him? How much should this be a part of our lives? He says every single part of our lives. Not just one part. Some of, sometimes we do that, don't we? We, we kind of have this thing where part of us 
You know, maybe uh, for some it's a, like a real intellectual faith. But it doesn't affect any other part of us. It doesn't affect our hearts. It doesn't affect our decisions. It doesn't affect our bodies, what we do. But he says every single part of us needs to be walking in love towards the, the Lord God Almighty. Now, you know, different people might break these up differently. You know, which part of us is the heart? Which part's the soul, the mind, the strength? You know, it really doesn't matter how you look at it, whether, you know, we're are two-part beings or three-part beings. There's lots of debates about some of that stuff. I'm not going to get into any of that because it doesn't matter. Because he says here that it's all of you, every part of you, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The very center of who we are, our, our will and our emotions and our, our thoughts and our intellect, our physical bodies. And by the way, Mark adds that well, which, which we just read in, in Deuteronomy 6 about all of our strength. But they kind of all overlap, don't they, really? It's not just one part and, and, and compartmentalize. And, and we kind of have a habit of doing that, though we compartmentalize our lives. And, and Sunday we're, we're like in love with God, and, and then Monday we're back to the job. and We're just one of the boys. Well, whoa. Jesus said, what's the most important thing in life? Well, that every part of us would be in love with God and it would affect every part of our lives and every part of our beings. Crazy, huh? To think about that. This is very convicting. This is very challenging. You say, well, you're a pastor. You're like that all the time. Well, excuse me? Let's talk to my wife about that. She's not here. She's out there somewhere. I'm safe. One commentator said a person's total being must be involved in loving God. Nothing must be held back because God holds nothing back. Because God holds nothing back, we should hold nothing back, but we do, don't we? I'm glad God's not like that. William Barclay, the commentator, he says, we, we may well say that Jesus here laid down the complete definition of religion. He said religion consists in loving God. Religion consists in loving God. It means that to God we must give a total love, a love which dominates our emotions, a love which directs our thoughts, and a love which is the dynamic of our actions. All religion starts with a love which is total commitment of life to God. Man, I read these and I go like, how can we, how can we do that? How can we love like that? How can we love Him? How can we have this kind of relationship with the Almighty God? Well, I want you to turn with me to 1 John, because John talks a lot about this kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, we know, as John has pointed out to us very clearly in his gospel, that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Over and over, he makes sure that we know that. But he talks so much about love. In fact, uh, the tradition is that all the other apostles were martyred very, you know, earlier, but, and we don't know exactly how John's life ended, but it appears that he lived to a very, very old age, and, and he was, you know, they tried to um, kill him, but they were not successful. But the tradition says that they would bring him into meetings, and he, he would, they would carry him out on a chair or whatever, and, and he would simply say, love one another. And that's all he would say, love one another. 
We see that in his writings. Look at 1 John chapter 4, and uh, I want you to keep a marker in there because we're going to turn back to 1 John a couple more times. But um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And so we know. Let's start in verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with torment or punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then verse 19, we love. Why? How? Because he first loved us. I think we, we should meditate on that passage and, and, and uh, let God speak to our hearts about it. But you see that, that as we acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, we live in Him and He lives in us. This is how we can even fulfill this calling to love the Lord our God, to love one another as we'll see, is by living in Him because He is love. That's His very nature is love. It's not the only part of His nature. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. For us to live in God, to live in love. We love Him because He first loved us. And knowing Him, and knowing about His love for us, our response would then be to love Him in return. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to know that. That's a scripture that has power in it. But it's also a challenge in it about our very lives, about our very relationship with God. Do we, do we have a love relationship with God? Or is it legalism? Or is it liberal? Well, God is, you know, that doorknob. God is whatever I make him out to be, you know. No, he says, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's move on back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, because he doesn't just stop there, does he? He says the second in verse 39 is like it. The second is like it. Like it because it's about love. The second is like it. He says this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, okay, God, you want me to love you and, and, and this relationship, but people, that's another story. But Jesus is quoting from another verse out of the law, out of the book of Leviticus. Again, we talk about Leviticus, it's so kind of hard to understand, but right in the middle of it is this passage in verse nine, chapter 19, verse 18, do not seek revenge. Or bear grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, he says. That's the, the whole verse in context. Don't seek revenge, bear grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I am the Lord. I think that part is, is kind of important. I am the Lord. 
of course, Jesus is saying those words, so he is the Lord, and, and he's giving the, that, that uh, challenge to us. But loving people, it, as Jesus has pointed out, he says the second one is like it, it's very connected to the first of loving God. We don't love people and then we love God. No, we love God and then we love people. Let's turn back again to 1 John chapter 4 where we, where we stopped there, verse 20. He says, 1 John 4, 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. He lies when he says, I love God, is what he's saying. I love God, yet I hate everybody. Well, you don't really love God then, is what he's saying. It's a lie. It's not true. He says, for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See how these two are connected? Again, we're not going to get into all, this is just as deep as, as deep can be, but, but for us to be challenged and know that God is calling us to, to love to love Him and, and to love one another. And, and, and we love Him because He first loved us. And as we love Him in return, then we're able to love one another, to love others. Barclay again says these words. He says, our love for God must issue in love for men. He says, the only way in which a man can prove that he loves God is, in fact, by loving his fellow men. The basis of the love of man is firmly grounded in the love of God. So if, if we don't love people around us, and then we tell them that we love God, they're going to say, yeah, right, uh-huh, sure you do. I can see that love just pouring out of you as you, as you gossip, as you hate, as you bear grudges and re seek revenge, and as you, you know, oh, I love you, God, but I just hate people. And he said, well, you must not love me then. They don't go together, is what he's saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, he says. Now, I have a, I have a little um, issue with the fact that some people take this verse and they say these words. You know what I'm get, getting at, right? First they say, well, I need to love myself, and then I can love my neighbor. That's not what he said, though, is it? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Really, what it is, is, is love your neighbor as you already love yourself. As we already love for and care for and think about ourselves. Who's the number one in this room to you? It's certainly not me. You say, you know, I know this. I understand. I've thought about this for many, many, many years. But I don't love myself. But the problem is that we do love ourselves. That's the problem. We say, well, I, do, I, I get this bad, low self-esteem. I have bad self. I don't love myself. But I think there's something very twisted about that because we would be happy if we didn't love ourselves, and this is maybe you're going to get how my mind thinks and works, it, we would be happy that we're overweight. If you really hate yourself, wow, oh, man, that's great, I'm overweight, or I'm hairless, or I have problems, or I, you know, 
I'm not perfect. You'd be happy about that. The reason we're unhappy with ourselves is because we love ourselves so much and we wish we were like the guy on the magazine or on the television or, or we had all this money or we had all that. And, and, and you see, it's kind of a twisted kind of thing. The point is, the point is, what is the point? The point is, however you want to slice and dice that, the point is that we are so consumed with ourselves, whether we think it's a positive or a negative. We're just like loving myself or hating myself. It doesn't matter. It's about myself, you see. It's all about me. And we spend so much of our energy, so much of our mental and physical, emotional, spiritual, all the stuff that he was talking about here, thinking about me. Well, it's all about me. I love what this guy said. This, uh, he's, he's the author of the Believer's Bible Commentary. It's a great one-volume uh, Bible commentary. Listen carefully. William McDonald's his name. He said this, We should frequently ponder the words, Love your neighbor as yourself. We should think of how very much we do love ourselves, of how much of our activity centers around the care and comfort of self. Then we should try to imagine what it would be like if we showered that love on our neighbors. Then we should do it. He says, such behavior is not natural. It is supernatural. Only those who have been born again can do it, and then only by allowing Christ to do it through them. That's something to think about. He says, think about that often. Like, think about what it would be like if I, all the thought and, and care that I do for myself, if I do that to my neighbor, wow, what would that be like? And then he says, but don't just stop there, but do it. But know that you can't even do it unless you're born again, and Jesus is helping you do it because it's a supernatural thing. The natural thing is to take care of... Me, of course. That's natural. Supernatural is to love one another. How do we do it? By living in God, God living in us. Jesus working in and through our lives. He says, you're in error because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. We need to know the Scriptures and we know the power of God. The power of God and the very love of God. Is that a challenge or what? Some of you are th looking at me. I can see your faces. I don't even love that guy that's, that's challenging me to love someone else. How can I love anyone? I can't love him. Look at him. He's weird. <laughs> and he says those weird things. Back to 1 John again. I hope you kept your, your little marker back there because we've got one more passage. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Well, what is love? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how could the love of God be in him? He said, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And this then is how we know that we belong to the truth, how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. 
by loving one another, by caring for one another, by doing r real and radical things, by finding that place of supernatural love. I think we got to pray, don't we? We got to be praying for this. It's not natural. Luke chapter 10, that passage I mentioned, he goes on to explain uh, who our neighbor is and what we know as what? The good Samaritan. That's where he goes, well, who's my neighbor, he, he says. And he gives them that whole thing. I thought I'd just throw this in here. For those of you that are married, Martin Luther said, the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor, and since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. Think about that, you husbands. He said that because that's what Paul said, right? Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself, as Christ loved the church. Finally, Matthew 22, verse 40, he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, the, the whole Old Testament, the heart of the matter is love. And if you can kind of picture this, we're going to have communion here now. If you can kind of picture the cross, right? The cross, you have the vertical, and then you have the horizontal on the cross. And this is exactly what he's talking about. The vertical between us and God, and the horizontal between us and people, and Jesus stretching out his arms to the one that was on the right and the one that was on the left. Jesus showed us at the cross, and, and it's through the cross and, and through his life, his resurrection, that we can fulfill what he's called us to fulfill, the vertical and the horizontal. Let's turn to Mark chapter 12, two more passages before we have communion together. Mark chapter 12, that passage I've been referring to. <clears throat> In verse 32, Mark 12, 32. The man replying to Jesus after he said those words to him about loving the Lord your God with all your mind, uh, with all your uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as, as yourself. In verse 32, well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God because he, he got it. He understood it. But he says you're not far. You're not quite there yet because now you need to do it, right? You need to give your heart completely and totally to Jesus Christ. Not just a little part of it. Not just mentally. Not even physically where you go to church every Sunday. But every part of you being sold out, given to him. Totally. And one more passage I mentioned, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll close with that. Ephesians chapter 5. I remember I grew up in the uh, era of the Beatles, and, and, you know, they had all these songs about love, all you need is love, and, and all that stuff, you know. Part of it they got right, the understanding, but they didn't understand the love, and they didn't understand where the love comes from. The love comes from God. It's got to come from Him. That's why every day we need to say, God, I surrender my life to you, all to Thee. My precious Savior.
chapter 5, Ephesians, verse 1, be imitators of God. Get this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Live a life of love. That's what he's calling to us. That's the heart of the matter. You say, well, you don't understand. I've been hurt. I've had a hard life. I hate people. There's so much hate in me. God is the healer. God is the one that will fill us with his love. If we ask him to, he's faithful. He doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't empower us and help us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and it is challenging. How can we even go out of this place with these words burning in our hearts and in our minds like, you want me to do what? You want me to live a life of love? And yet, God, you, you want us. You, your word uh, spells it out so clearly for us that that's what you call us to do, to love you with every, every fiber of, of our being. And you want to love those people around us, through us. You want us to love them, following your example and, and, and laying down our lives for them. God, we can't do it. I just, just say right out, straight out, we can't do it. I can't do it. So, Lord, we pray and we pr- ask your Holy Spirit to, to fall upon us, to fill us anew that we might love like you. That we might be those people that love is really the most important thing in our lives. Loving you and loving people.